Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Uh, welcome to New Vintage. To all of our moms, we say Happy Mother's Day today. Yeah, woo, indeed. Uh, I am so thankful for the legacy of faith that my mother left, that my wife uh, leaves inside of our home, uh, and for all of the different ways that the moms of this church bless uh, your kids and help raise them in the way of the Lord. I just want to say thank you uh, for everything that you guys do. Uh, it is incredible. I could go on and on and on, and maybe I should, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put pause there and just let you know how much we love you, how much we appreciate you. Uh, and uh, this church would not be the same uh, without many of you. So on behalf of your, your, your families, let me say thank you for just being who you are. God bless you today. Um, as we get going this morning, we're going to be uh, continuing this series called Secrets of the Kingdom. We're looking at the parables of Jesus, particularly mostly the ones that are a little bit off the beaten path, maybe a little bit less uh, well-known than some of the mainstream ones. And uh, we're going to start in Matthew 13 today. If you have a Bible Bible app, go ahead and get it fired up. And as we do, uh, I want to, as you're turning there, which uh, let's see some people turning their apps and their Bibles. Good, 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 good. Um, I want to take you back to when my wife and I were brand new married people, uh, 21 years ago, uh, when your date nights, that phase of your marriage or whatever, when your date nights are like at Home Depot and stuff, and you have like your first place to live and you're all excited about it. And uh, I learned that I covet a, a great lawn like the lawn, the yard. Uh, I don't like weeds in my yard. I don't like dry spots in my yard. And we were in Houston at the time, and Houston is a place where it's almost Im impossible to grow a perfect lawn. There are, the air is so humid that your grass gets fungus in it with regular uh, regularity. And then uh, if you're lucky enough to avoid that, then you might get the occasional uh, crabgrass or something like that that would grow up in there. And, and it was very, very difficult to the point that most people did not keep their own yard, plus the fact that it can get to a climate in the summer that's just shy of hell. So um, when we got there, it was like, okay, everybody, I'm, I said, no, this is my yard. I'm going to take charge and I'm going to make this thing perfect. And so I had resolved that I was going to make it perfect. And I'm telling you, I made the thing flawless. I mean, this yard was immaculate. It looked like Augusta National I had my own amen corner in the backyard, and the front yard was like the 18th. It was incredible. And I was so proud of this lawn. And then my wife comes to me, bless her heart, and she says, I think you're overwatering. I know. And I said, uh, well, that's impossible because this lawn is flawless. So whatever I'm doing, we need to bottle it and sell it to the masses because this thing looks flawless. No, you're overwatering. No, we're not. I'm not overwatering, okay? The, look at it. It looks perfect. There's no fungus, there's no crabgrass, there's no dry spots, there's no nothing. Uh, and I mean, my, our lawn was so good, I'd walk out the front door in the morning, the rabbits would stand up and salute me walking out the door. They loved that. I mean, my lawn was awesome. So I, I, I told her, I said, all right, hon, if you're, there's, a, there's a company that does everybody else's lawns called True Green Chem Lawn. And they offered everybody, a, we were new in the neighborhood, so they offered us a free yard consultation. So I said, all right. Let's put it to the test. Let's have them come out. If they think there's something wrong or I'm overwatering, there's a little report card they fill out and they'll let us know. So uh, anyway, so we, we go ahead and make the call and they said, all right, we'll come out and we'll leave the report card thing on, on your door or, or something like that. Well, we go out, uh, we come back later and this is back in the day when they had these things called answering machines, kids. Uh, these are like voicemails that are out loud in your house and they, you could tell how many messages you had and there'd be a little blinking light. You'd hit the button and it would say out loud in your house what the message was. So we come home, answering message, beep, hit the button. 
Uh, hello, Mr. Spivey. This is True Green Kimlon. We came out to take a look at your house, and uh, your yard is in terrific condition. And we can't imagine anything we could do to improve it, so call us back if, in fact, you ever do develop a problem with your yard. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> now, my wife is standing right next to me. <laughs> and, I mean, I spiked the ball. I saved that message and used it when we had fights later on. I would just say, hey, remember this? and I'd hit the button. It was so wonderful. And I continued to be obsessive about my yard. To this day, dry spots bother me. Weeds bother me, which is why this parable bothers me. God doesn't know how to keep his yard. He doesn't know that you're not supposed to have weeds in your yard. Here's what Jesus says, kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed weeds ooh, among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, and you can underline this part in your Bibles. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. What's the matter with God? There's no way to keep a yard. I mean, what self-respecting person would say, yeah, just let it all grow together. Weeds, grass, or wheat, and weeds. It doesn't seem like God's much of a farmer. But he says in a way of just telling the story. He doesn't, he's not explicit. He doesn't say here are the three points to the parable and three things you should do or shouldn't do. He just tells a story, and the meaning of it's kind of there on the surface. You know, he kind of starts by insinuating that where there is wheat, there will be weeds. It's the nature of gardening, that the enemy is out there sowing weeds among the wheat, trying to turn wheat into weeds. And so if you're looking around going, hey, you know what, if this is actually God's yard, why are there weeds here? God's saying, no, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the kind of yard I keep. I want the weeds and the wheat to grow together. Now that's strange to me, because anytime I see the kingdom of God advancing, I see weed, uh, weeds popping up among them, and I go, okay, well, what God wants me to do is he wants me to go deal with that person, deal with that issue, deal with this, deal with that all the time, and pulling, start pulling things. But what this seems to say is that I don't know the difference between the two. Now, I think I do. I think I know, hey, that person is a weed, that person is wheat. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't, and that's the problem. That's why I don't want you doing this. In fact, I actually want the weeds to grow with the wheat. Well, why would you want that? Well, we'll get to that in a bit. But like the servants in this story, we often ask ourselves, if this is God's field, how can there be weeds? Why didn't he threaten by this? Why didn't he threaten by this? Well, wheat is stronger than weed. Uh, wheat is stronger than weeds, and he never loses sight of the field. Through it all, it remains his. Now, we 
We practice this and we kind of prove Jesus' point in almost every aspect of life. How many times have you misjudged somebody? Have you thought to yourself, they seem like a loser and it turns out they're awesome. Uh, you look at them and you go, boy, they seem kind of scary and they turn out to be amazing. Uh, or you look at them in reverse and you go, boy, they seem so, so incredibly integrity filled. And you find out later on they're not. They're, as Jesus calls, a whitewashed tomb. Uh, they're uh, like a cup that is beautiful on the outside, but inside is all full of filthy stuff, as Jesus would put it in his parables. We don't do this very well. I mean, if you even think about something as basic in our city as taco shops, if you haven't, mm, yeah, it's a lunchtime, isn't it? Yeah, but taco shops, I mean, the glory of Escondido really is. And so people will come into town and I will say, all right, do you want to go to like the real places or do you want to go to like the commercial place? You want to go to, you know, Applebee's so you feel like you're at home or do you want to go to some place like you want to really get into it? Because if you do, I will take you to some places. And sometimes I will take them to the real taco shops, which don't always look like the kind of places that you would want to visit just on the surface. But we who live here know that those are the best places. Like the holes in the wall, those, those are the real places, right, that you really, really want to go. You, you want to go to, you know, in fact, there's probably, if you put it on a graph, there's almost an inverse correlation. The sketchier the place, the better the tacos, right? There we go. Amen's everywhere. So, like, if you go to my favorite little place called Carnitas Don Poncho, anybody ever been there? All right, one person, probably because I made you go there. But <laughs> uh, it's over here on Escondido Boulevard, maybe like 6th. I remember going in there the first time. I'd heard all sorts of good things about it, but I drove up to it. I look at it, and I go, ooh, ah, I don't know. I don't know about that place. And I kept hearing the chatter. I said, all right, I'm in. I'm going in. Dude, I was transformed. <laughs> it was amazing. Garnier's Don Poncho, I walk in. It really is a hole in the wall. There's enough for maybe one person to sit in there, a counter. And then behind that, a little old man, big hands. He had fingers like E.T., big old fingers, and a big vat of carnitas. The spit is right behind, big thing of carnitas. Now I would go in, and I say, yeah, can I have two tacos, please? So he takes the first one, first tortilla, puts it in his hand, takes his enormous hand, jams it into the vat of carnitas, and pulls out a handful of carnitas in his enormous hand. I mean, it looked like when he put the thing in there, it, it looked like there was like an infant swaddled in the taco. <laughs> Enormous poundage of carnitas. And then I was like, maybe I should have just ordered one. He goes, would you like two? And I go, why, yes, I think I would. And he takes it again, jams his hand back in there, another taco. I walk out there with two tacos that are just the biggest stinking tacos you have ever seen. And, and, and biting into them was nirvana. And I think to myself, had I been... So convinced that, oh, I don't want to go in there because it looks, you know, it looks sketchy. What I would have missed. I want you to think about people. I want you to think about people that you've dismissed. You, you wrote, them, wrote, them, wrote them off. You said, nah, nah, bad first impression. You know, they, they seem kind of standoffish to me. Of course, I was sitting over in the corner judging them with a friendly face, and so that means I'm nice and they're not. Or the way that you saw them, um, you know, you saw them at a, at a mall and they were chirping at, at their kids. 
they were getting on him a little bit. Oh, you know, hey, you know, I know that they're probably okay, but, you know, they really don't seem to be a very good parent. Judgy, judgy, judgy. Oh, we don't want, you know what, I don't know if we want somebody that's only been in the faith that long on that team, on that ministry team. Oh, you know what, my friend, yeah, I don't think I'm going to invite them to church. I don't think I'm going to invite them to anything because they wouldn't be interested. Or here's, here's another one for you moms today particularly. If you've got a wayward child, I have good news for you. God is not ready to give up on them yet. He has not given up on them. And today's weeds might be tomorrow's wheat. That's why we don't go pull. When I was in college, I'd spent my freshman year kind of spinning out, went through an identity crisis, lived a very worldly life for my first year. My sophomore year, the preacher on the campus invited me to work for the church answering phones. So I went from wild living to answering the phones in the church office in about a year's time. But I was pretty new. I'd kind of bounced back in my faith. And uh, he had his plans. He knew where he was going to go with this, I think. When you walked into the, to the church office, there was a desk with a phone. That's where I would normally be sitting. And there was a cubicle behind it where a lot of the you know, pastors and college kids would, would work behind that. Well, at the moment, I happened to be out away from the desk on the other side of the cubicle wall, probably getting copies or something like that. And the preacher of the church happened to be in the front. Now, he wasn't sitting behind the desk. He just happened to be there when this woman came in. In particular, she wanted to talk to him about why they hired me. She didn't know I was standing on the other side of the wall. And she talked about how I had dishonored the Lord during my time at the school. Uh, she talked about how it, was, it could potentially ruin the reputation of the church to have me working there. And she went on and I mean, she laid it on thick. And I just remember sitting on the other side of the wall feeling like a complete loser and thinking, what did I do? Why, why did I do this? Why did I mess with this? The preacher finds a way to kind of do what preachers do sometimes with angry people. He kind of patches up things and gets her out the door. And then he comes around the backside of the wall and he looks at me and he says, Tim, he goes, don't listen to a thing she said. Don't listen to a thing she said. And I remember thinking to myself then, why am I bothering with this? You know, and you think about, let's say that I'd listened to her. You know what, you're right. I am kind of a zero spiritually. Maybe I have kind of disqualified myself with a bad year. You know, how differently things would have been for me. How, how differently they would have gone. Now, to be fair to that lady, godly woman, and we're very close to this day. So it didn't end that way. But, but that was a collision there of biblical proportions that was potentially very damaging my spiritual life. And thankfully, Dan Anders, the guy who was the preacher at the time, had the integrity to come around and just, he knew that I would be bleeding back there, you know. And I don't know if he was in front going, hey, you know, you know I don't know if he was doing that or what. But whatever happened, she didn't stop. She didn't slow down a bit. But then I started thinking to myself, as then I moved from there into ministry, and I watched people come in, college kids that would come in, and, and just go splat. 
spiritually. That you don't just go, oh, okay, well, bummer. I thought they were going to mount something. Guess they won't. Out they go with the weeds. Take them with the weeds, put them over there in the pile to be burned later. Right now, what we need in this church is a whole harvest full of wheat. See, what God says is no. You don't know the difference between the two. Can you imagine being a Christian in the first century and hearing this word? Guess what, guys? Remember Saul? Yeah, the guy who, who killed a bunch of us and was leading the campaign to have a bunch of us killed. Guess what? He became a Christian. What? No. Saul, do you think that, say, a month or two before his conversion, if they'd had the chance to get rid of Saul, they would have taken it? Of course they would have. And yet, what then goes, what, what happens then? Look at every redemption story you see in the Bible. Peter denies Jesus. Well, there you go. He looked like wheat. Turns out he was a weed. Take him, throw him over in the pile to be burned. You hear what I'm saying, guys? He says to me, listen, be careful. You don't know the difference between the weeds and the wheat. So when I'm sitting there looking at, okay, what parable would be good for Mother's Day? I think moms are better at this than dads are. If I'm going to generalize a little bit. I think moms are good at sticking with, with their kids, kind of hoping and praying and, and doing all that. Us dads, we can be a little dismissive. We can kind of go, ah, freaking kid, he doesn't know he's, you know, you know, and just kind of toss him aside or like, you know, suck it up. You know, that's the culture, I think, in, in dad land sometimes. I'm generalizing, but but, and, and, and not every mom is wired that way, right? But, but generally, I think moms are a little better at this. To simply recognize that just because my kid is, is not walking with the Lord right now, or, or just because this person is that way now, doesn't mean they're always going to be that way. God doesn't see weeds and wheat as much as he sees wheat and future wheat. That he sees in his mind's eye what people can become. And the church is supposed to mirror that back and understand that, yes, right now you're living in sin. Right now you're acting wickedly. Right now you're doing things that, frankly, from a moral standpoint, are completely despicable. But that doesn't mean God is done with you, right? There's a, a message of redemption or a message of grace that goes with becoming a Christian that you're supposed to go, yeah, just like somebody would have if they had the choice, grab me, take me in the weed pile, throw me over there and burn me because I was that bad or, or whatever, they would have rid me off, but God didn't. And so then how dare I go and say, hey, guess what? I know the, the difference between the two. Ah, that's a weed right there. God doesn't want weeds. He only wants wheat. Boy, is that antithetical to the gospel. He wants the weeds too. That's what the gospel says. He wants the weeds. Now, he's in the process of taking them and making them wheat. But we don't know the difference. It's like when you go down, uh, say when your kids are little, like a three, four-year-old. They're walking down the street in a they see a dandelion in the grass, and they pick it up. Mom, look, a flower. They think it's a flower. It's a weed. And they just created a bunch more weeds by blowing on the thing. Oh, look, more flowers, Mom. You know, it's how they, and they, now your yard's full of weeds. But they thought, hey, that looks like a flower to me. And we do the same thing sometimes. We'll take each other, and we'll, we'll size each other. We'll overestimate one another. And we certainly do it with ourselves. 
I mean, I, I mean, spiritually speaking, I mean, we have a propensity to love the mirror because we think we look better than we look to God because we compare ourselves to others, not to the holiness of God. Jesus will tell another parable that we don't have time to get to in this series, but he says, yeah, two men came to the temple to pray. There was one who was a Pharisee, and he said, thank you, God, that I am not like that guy. The other guy can't even bear to look up, and he asked God to have mercy on him. He's not thinking about the other guy. He's thinking about how much he's fallen short and how much he needs the grace of God. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, one of these two men went away justified. Want to guess which one? It's the humble heart that God loves. It's the humble heart that God honors. And so it's not always the way that things look on the outside. The Pharisees look holy, but were rotten on the inside. You had other people. Matthew, tax collector, must be evil. Hmm. You know, I wonder, as Matthew records this in his gospel, what was going through his head? I mean, you could... I mean, I could go on and on and on with these stories, you know. DJ Iverson, who we all know and love here at NBC, you know, complete knucklehead as a teenager. I mean, and yet here we are 14 years later, we've been working together, 14 years on a church staff together later on in life, right? I guarantee you, the kids that are misbehaving in children's ministry right now, one of them is going to become a great church leader. They will. That's just how it is. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I almost single-handedly, uh, you know, got every teacher to quit in Bible class when I was going through church. I was horrible, you know, <laughs> always messing around, always, you know, making their lives miserable or whatever, right? And, and I just, I think we miss it sometimes when we are too quick to simply go, oh, I get it, because God put me here to weed the garden. No, he didn't. The parable says, no, you're a harvester. You plant, you water, you, you, you participate in the harvest, but you don't pull the weeds. That's not your job. And the reason is, we're not good at it. We're not good at it. I have misjudged people, and I mean, I, my, I would say I'm probably got a higher batting average than most, because I have a lot of people I know a lot of people, and then I get to, they divulge their uh, stuff to me confidentially often and stuff like that. And so I feel like over time, you kind of build a, you know, a, a, a sensor of sorts and kind of sense trouble or intuitively kind of get things. I mean, I whiff all the time. All the time. Because I wasn't prepared for what God was going to do miraculously in their life. Again, they can come dress like each other. Wheat can show up dressed like a weed, and vice versa. And so God says, and something that really puzzles me, let them grow together. Because it's my farm, he says. He's the good farmer. And he sent me as a harvester, not a weed puller. Mark 4, 26 to 25. A parallel, par uh, a parallel parable, okay? It's short, but I want to make sure we understand this because this is where he highlights how the kingdom happens. Mark 4, 26 to 29. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. 
The earth produces by itself the first blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe at once, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. He's saying that the way that God works in the kingdom of God with people is mysterious. It happens automate in Greek, automatically. Without us being involved at all, if he wants to do it that way. It happens mysteriously. He chooses to use us at times, but he does not need us to do it in the lives of people. He says, as the farmer sleeps and rises, it grows all by itself. You get up, you go to bed, you get up, you go to bed, and God's still doing his thing while you're asleep. And I, for one, don't take that as a, oh, no, I should be more important than that. I take that as a thank you, God, that you're not dependent on me, that you can work beyond the limits of my emotions and psyche and arrogance and all the stuff that I tend to get wrapped up in. My ability to, my, my desire to pull weeds instead of leave room for the Holy Spirit to work. He suggests that the kingdom of God is more like wildflowers. It's that time of year in California, you're driving down the freeways and you see the wildflowers splashed on the, on the sides of the freeways. You're like, how did those get there? Like, how, did somebody come out and plant them? Did, was there some wind that carried a piece of pollen or something from here over the there or a piece of seed over there and it landed? And then how is it sustained? I mean, we don't know. That's the point of the parable. That there's a part of this that we can play a part in and there's a part of it that's way over our head. It's mysterious in how God deals with people. And so God is doing things that we can't see in our lives, for instance, we might find ourselves going, how in the world did that happen? How did he do that? Or the church here, how did, how did, how did you end up here? How do, how do we, end, hmm? you know, how do you do that? The world, how in the world did that happen? And he says, I can do it in your sleep. And so we can wake up each day looking forward to looking at what he has grown overnight. The kingdom of God is gradual and it's inevitable. And just because it doesn't grow fast doesn't mean that it isn't growing or that it isn't growing stronger. We often try to rush the spiritual growth process, but spiritual growth isn't something that we acquire. It's something God grows gradually in us and others. When, when I went to uh, high school, my voice had not changed yet. I was five foot one. I went from five one to six three in the next year. But if you had just seen me my freshman year, you would have heard a little squeaky voice kid this tall, right? And then all of a sudden it's like boom. It's like nobody saw that coming. I have a friend who played on the U.S. Olympic volleyball team. Okay, he was six one his senior year of high school. He ended at six eleven as a volleyball player, in one year's time, after everybody thought he had been grown already. Okay, see, there's things like that, and some of the kids that are the tallest right now are going to get passed by everybody else. But they were the tallest in fourth grade, so they th everybody thinks, oh, wow, they're a great athlete. No, they're just the tallest kid in fourth grade. Wait till, wait till things go, and you're going to see this little pipsqueak that you think can't play at all is going to go all the way up. Okay. It's a, it's a way of looking at spiritual growth, too. I've seen it over and over and over again. There's some of you, some of our most key leaders in this church right now, frankly, did not do much of anything 
for the first like five years, six years they were in the church, they were just kind of around. And all of a sudden something clicks, boom, and then boom, up they go. Wouldn't have been easy to go, oh, weed, throw it in the pile, on to go in to look for the wheat. But that's not how God works. It's not how he works. And then there are other people who start out like, I mean, total hot sauce on their faith right away. Bam, off they go, and they're like a bottle of champagne. Pow, fizzle. Right? So what he's saying is, guys, I can work in anybody, anytime, as I please. Don't go around pulling the weeds. Now for me, that gives me great hope because there are people that I love that are far from God right now. But it reminds me that he isn't done with them yet just because, unfortunately, at times I've felt like I'm done with them. That doesn't mean he's done with them yet. And so we can reasonably and passionately pray that God would do his thing and that if he sees fit for us to help, then we're going to do that. And so our job, people often go, well, what, if we're supposed to do that, what are we going to do if ungodly people bring ungodliness into the church? Okay, look, even the most godly people have ungodliness in them that I know. Okay, that doesn't mean the you bring the standard of holiness down, any of that kind of stuff. No, we're called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But what it means is the weeds are not a threat to the wheat. He won't let that happen. The one who's in us is greater than the one who's in the world. But we can also count on the fact that if it is God's yard, then we can count on the enemy sowing weeds among the wheat. So when it happens, it's not evidence that it's not God's field. It just means the enemy's doing what the enemy's doing. And when the time is right, God will say, you know what? It's time. And the curtain on this thing is going to come to a close. And he's going to say, all right, now we're going to gather up and separate the wheat from the weeds. And then I'll take the weeds. We'll go out here and we'll burn the weeds. And then the wheat we'll go ahead and harvest and uh, bring that into my barn. Okay, that's the punchline to the parable. And so what do, we, what do we do in the meantime? Well, we plant, we water, we participate in the harvest where we can, and we're around people for quality time and what I'll call garbage time. Garbage time in sports is, um, you know, I, I played some basketball in high school and I got in at garbage time. It was... The end of the game, we're up by 30 points. There's two minutes left. Okay, you really can't hurt anybody at this point. Go ahead and go in. That's garbage time. The last two minutes when you're up by 50. Go ahead. You throw in the backups or the reserves or whatever, freshmen, hey, and, and they go. Okay, there's a people equivalent of garbage time or what we think is garbage time. It's the stuff where a person's not literally like coming into a one-on-one -on -one discipleship situation. You're studying the Bible together or you're you're doing whatever. Okay, those matter. Those are key. But garbage time relationally, somebody was talking to Jerry Seinfeld about raising his kids, and he, he used that phrase. And he said, I'm a believer in the ordinary and the mundane. These guys that talk about quality time, I always find that a little sad when they say we have quality time. I don't want quality time. I want the garbage time. That's what I like. You see your kids in their room reading a comic book and you get to kind of watch them for a minute. Or a bowl of Cheerios at 11 o'clock at night when they're not even supposed to be up. That's the garbage time. That's what I love. You see what he's saying there? Not everything has to be right on point all the time. 
It's learning how to be with people, love people. Just eating with them, no agenda, just eating with them. And watching, watching them when the light bulb comes on at some key moment. Being patient with them when the temptations to simply say, oh, you're a weed, toss them in the pile, light, light the match. See, God want, there's time for quality time and then the garbage time matters to God too. And often what we think is if it's not right there at that point in time, I'm not just sitting down. If I offer him to study the Bible with him and reject me, okay, well, bummer. God's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. You're the chaff. Off you go. Wrong. It means being willing to give God the space. Not that he'll take it if we don't give it to him anyway. To do what he wants to do with people. And that doesn't mean we don't have any role to play. And that doesn't mean we're not intentional. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But this particular parable says, don't pull the weeds, Tim. Because you can't tell the difference between the weeds and the wheat. Right now, uh, God is doing great things all over the globe. He's impacting the lives of kids through their parents, through his church. And those people that, and the, and the things where it even looks like uh, the kingdom of God is taking L's all over the place or whatever. He's still working. We can't judge what an L is from a W. We're just not good at that. So what we do is we say, all right, God, you've promised us the victory. We believe in you. We believe in your word. So we're going to follow what you say and trust that the end of this story ends the way that you say it ends. And we say, that's enough. That's enough for us. So if you tell me not to pull the weeds, my hands are off. If you tell me, now that doesn't mean, by the way, I want to reiterate this. It's not an anti-holiness thing. It's not a, hey, don't, don't be intentional. And it's not to rejoice. Hey, guess what? I'm a weed and you can't do anything about it because I'm just going to be out here living the way I want to live. It's not that at all. It means we don't quit on people. We don't dismiss them. We don't go, um... You know, you're too young, you look too weird, you don't dress right, you don't do this, you don't do this right, whatever. Over you go. And we try to look at people the way that God looked upon us in our sin. May God bless the hearing of his word. This time we're going to take the Lord's Supper and go ahead and ask Riley to come on up. And You should have gotten the elements on your way in if you did not. If you put your hand in the air, we'll bring you some. Just stick it up like this. We'll bring it to you. Um, as we do, let's remember the one who refused to throw us in the weed pile. The one who refused to let Satan win the day in our own lives. And the one who calls us to avoid trying to pull the weeds in his garden. But instead leave room for God to do what he wants to do with people. And it may be that you're sitting here and you've got a wayward child, or it may be that here on Mother's Day, it's your mom that's wayward. Then bring them before the Lord and say, God, do what you will do. But I'm asking you to turn this weed into wheat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Help us to have faith in the great things that you can do with people. Just as you've done great things in our lives, Father, we ask that you do that. 
with those that we're tempted to write off. Uh, Father, I pray for those who, on this particular day, on Mother's Day, Father, for the moms who have a burden for their wayward children and for the children who have a burden for their wayward moms. Father, we ask that you will do what you can do in their lives, what only you can do. May grace pour forth, may transformation happen. May we remain patient as we wait for the total fulfillment and consummation of the kingdom. And as we do, Father, may we not dishonor you in what we do and how we treat people, but instead, Father, to to mind your garden in the way that you've asked us to. Father, for saving us from the weed pile, we say thank you. And may we rejoice in your grace on a daily basis and treat others the way that you have acted toward us. We thank you right now for Jesus and for the opportunity to take this bread and this cup, which represent his body and blood. We pray this in his name. Amen.